coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Best definition I've ever heard in my life of sales is a transference of enthusiasm. Mm, I like it. You believe in, you, you learn your products, you know it well, you know how to apply it, and then you just get out there. And if you expose 10,000 people to that, you'll probably end up with 1,000 opportunities of which you'll probably win 500. Mm-hmm. If you expose 100 people to it, you might end up with 50 opportunities of which you might win 10 or 20. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. On today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Greg Knox from Knox Machinery. If you've spent any time trying to manufacture something, or maybe you've even tried to create your own manufacturing company, you know how complicated it can be. So in traditional past the secret sauce style, uh, we get into Greg's history and how he got to be where he's at today. Uh, And that is uh, running a very, very successful manufacturing uh, facility. He actually sits on a number of advisory boards for the manufacturing industry and is a huge proponent of manufacturing in the U.S. So uh, great advice. Certainly, if you're interested or perhaps you are even in the manufacturing industry today, maybe you've heard of Greg, but uh, his advice is some that you're not going to want to miss. So I hope you enjoy today's episode with Greg Knox on Pass the Secret Sauce. My dad was a New York City cop. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, five children. I was, uh, my parents had what they call Irish triplets. So I was the third of three boys, born within three years. Uh, so it explains a lot about my nature, my combative, competitive nature. <laughs> uh, you know, so it was a lot of uh, elbows at the table. Uh, you know, uh, we learned, uh, you know, both being a New Yorker and having a bunch of siblings at that table, you learn to be fast and aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So you, you obviously have a deep entrepreneurial spirit. Did you get that growing up? Or you Did you start companies or start your own you know, money-making schemes when you, were, when you were smaller? Or did that not hit you until a little bit later in life? I probably have my mother to thank for a lot of that because uh, she's a hardcore Irish Catholic, stay-at-home mom, coupon queen. You know, so my dad, in addition to being a cop, worked uh, several other jobs to keep her at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked, uh, drove taxis, worked uh, ticket gate at the Yonkers Raceway nights and stuff. So she would do anything she could to uh, squeeze a penny. And uh, she had us all working from an early age. So I had a, a paper route by the time I was single digits, mm-hmm. you know, and then I was working on a farm uh, by the time I was 14 to pay my way for a thousand dollar a year Catholic boys school which I had no desire to go to, but my mom informed me I was going and I was paying for it. Uh-huh. And the day that I turned 16, I mean, every gas, you know, gallon of gas in a car or insurance or a piece of clothing I had, I had to work for and pay for. 
So yes, from an early age, you know, you could call it entrepreneurial. I would just call it survival. Yeah. Yeah. I did a really good job. And, you know, they had enough that they could have covered me for a lot of those items, but that was just her style. She chose not to. And it really, a lot of that went into making me who I became in life. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I love, I love that, that outlook. So, so you, you went to school. What happened after you got out of school? Did you start your first company then, or was it uh, not until a little, little later that you started to, to really get involved in? That's a great question. Uh, really what I ended up doing was I uh, had good grades in high school. I went into college. I did one semester and I dropped out immediately. Uh, later, I've studied, you know, many, many businessmen, and uh, Steve Jobs is a uh, someone I really look up to a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty fascinating. Obviously, I'm no Steve Jobs, but you know, in that area, I certainly paralleled uh, Steve because I sat there, you know, uh, in class, and I just thought, what is this doing for my life? Where is mm-hmm. this taking me? So I dropped out after one semester, and uh, to a lot of people, I would have looked lost, but I really wasn't. Uh, so by the time I was, uh, you know, 18 and had Finished uh, with high school, I was a black belt in karate. You know, I was captain of two softball teams. I was always a bit of a natural leader. Didn't even realize it, per se, mm-hmm. just how it went. I had a large group of guys, and we lived large. I was always planning crazy trips and events and ski trips and uh, road trips and stuff. So I did that for years, really enjoyed myself while I was trying to figure out what I liked. And then at some point, I went back selectively to school and took things that made sense to me. So. I did some uh, uh, testing when I was probably about 19, and it came back and said I had a very logical mind. Mm-hmm. So I should be a computer programmer. So I took uh, computer programming courses at night at uh, Western Connecticut State University. I went to some special training at IBM for about six months, and I became a coder at an early age. And it took me only a couple of years to figure out that I hated being stuck <laughs> in an office with a yardstick, debugging programs for days, trying to find out where I put a zero instead of an O. Uh, you know, basic Pascal, uh, Fortran, uh, RPG2, which probably doesn't make any sense to people these days, but, you know, actually uh, hard coding programs back in the day. So I did that, and then I went to the School of Visual Arts in Greenwich Village, New York, and I took uh, advertising and marketing, mm-hmm. and I really loved that. But after doing that for a few years, I kind of concluded that uh, most of the people involved in that industry were pretty flaky, mm-hmm. and I knew as much as at the time I had a rock band and long hair and... Uh, I was a wild man. I knew one day I'd be a balding, middle-aged, married partner with a bunch of kids. And uh, I was a little bit, uh, you know, uh, vexed by the idea of this kind of flaky lifestyle where most of the teachers I had at the School of Visual Arts had, back then, resumes with job experience, uh, you know, as long as my arm. Mm-hmm. And that's just not how the world was back then, but in the world of creative, it was. So for that reason, I turned my back on that. And then I began, I... Just to, to try it, I was still kept my job as a computer programmer to keep the bills paid. But then I uh, went to work at night after work at a place called Crazy Eddie's on the East Coast selling electronics. Okay. Anyone who's familiar with Crazy Eddie's probably just chuckled. Uh, they had some of the hopiest commercials known to man. But it was a good entree for me. And I figured out pretty quickly that I really did enjoy interacting with people. And then in a, just a turn of events, I was you know, 25 years old. I had no real ties. I knew that I hated programming and I bored of it. Found out about a company that was uh, starting up in Detroit, Michigan, and it was a machine tool company. So it was very expensive machines that had computers running them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I applied for a job there, kind of forced myself on them, and started at that company. So I moved to Detroit, Michigan, a bachelor with uh, myself, 
uh, Jeep, a couple of Honda Goldwings, and uh, you know, started doing that. I spent the first couple of years in service uh, because of my technical background, you know, working on installations, fixing machines, uh, ordering parts. So in my world, that's served me well for many, many years because I got to learn this equipment that I've made a living at it from the inside out. And then I ended up in Detroit, Michigan. That's fantastic. So, so that's where you started getting your touches into the manufacturing industry, correct? Yeah, that was my first entree. Yeah, yeah. What, what types of things, you know, fascinated you about that? Like, were, were there certain things that you guys were making that was like, you know, that's really cool. I want to be able to make that. Or what, what was it that really drew you, you know, into that direction? everything i mean it was just such a paradigm shift in my entire life so it was a startup company the company i had spent the last five years at i was a head programmer for my division at union carbide corporation in danbury connecticut at the world headquarters there was five thousand people in my building and i've always told people i could have invented the cure to cancer and no one would have noticed mm -hmm. and then i go to this company in detroit and i am literally working 70 80 hours a week doing everything it was a startup company right Really right. didn't even want to hire me, but uh, I, I forced myself on them. And uh, I was I was building, you know, second stories for the building. I was painting showroom floors. I was coming in Tuesday mornings at 5.30 and dragging 60 bags of garbage to the side of the road because I canceled our garbage service. <laughs> I was ordering parts. The secretary quit after two months, and I told the owner, I can do that too. I type. I, I can answer phones. So I really... Uh, you know, made myself uh, kind of the, the, the glue of the company. Mm -hmm. and I remember talking to my folks back in New York. My whole family's still back in New York. And I called my parents and they'd say, how, how was your week? Say, oh my gosh, you know, and keep in mind to get the job there, I had left, uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, making well over $50,000 a year on the East Coast. To get this job, I was making $7.50 an hour. Wow, wow. I wanted into manufacturing. I wanted in on a startup company. So I really burned all my boats on the shore in New York. And I remember telling my parents, you know, for $7.50 an hour, I was working like 80-hour weeks. And I remember my mom saying, you know, so when are you coming home? And I said, I'm never coming home. I said, I love this. Like, you know, like I said, I could have found a cure to cancer and no one would have noticed. And here, everything I do with my two hands mm -hmm. makes a difference. And I just, it's, you know, talk about instant gratification. You spend a weekend painting a showroom floor and the company shows up Monday morning and everyone's like, oh, God, wow. oh my yeah. God, you see the showroom. And it's like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. It was, I mean, just so from a startup perspective, it was just in my veins, you know, so I just loved it. And then from the manufacturing side, I just loved it. I mean, I'm the kid in Carmel, New York, that at 13 and 14, the guys had pulled their hot rods into my driveway drop me off boxes of, you know, eight track players for anyone who remembers what those are, equalized mm -hmm. speakers. And I spend the weekend hooking up these sound systems. I didn't know how I could do it, but I just knew I could do it. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was, you know, I'd get $10, $15, uh, you know, cash money for doing it. So I always had that kind of inclination and I always loved uh, technology, but all of a sudden to be around these, you know, half million dollar machines that are making heads, you know, and needless to say in Detroit back then, especially was, 95 to 98 percent automotive mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's not hardly a part on a car that i haven't worked on sold a machine for helped to you know uh, figure out a process for it so that was just a blast love the technology love the cnc the multi-axis machines the robots the automation helping customers how to figure out how to get more competitive and 
the manufacturing processes. So it was just, uh, I just loved every bit of it. So, so that, that last part that you touched on there, you know, you've, you, you've explained a lot about the more of the tactical part of the, the work, you know, the physical building with your two hands and that you've gotten into quite a bit of the strategy and the leadership side of things as well. Can you talk a little bit about where that came from? How did you learn that type of skill set, and what were some of the, the strengths that you realized that you had, you know, early on? Sure. Well, from day one, when I took that job, I was just on a quest for knowledge. Kind of always have been. I've been a voracious reader since I was, uh, you know, in my early teens anyway, and uh, that's never changed over the course of my life. So when I was working in that position, uh, originally when I went out in service, I'd bring a notebook with me. And if we had a two-hour drive to Jackson, Michigan, God help the service technician I was driving along because for two hours going and then two hours coming back, I would just pummel them. You know, I'd read Modern Machine Shop at night and different technical, uh, you know, manuals and books and everything I could get my hands on. And then I would just spend the entire time torturing these guys with questions. What's helical interpolation? What's geometric tolerance? What's the difference between roundness and cylindricity? On and on. So really, I probably packed about 10 years of learning into about a two-year service stint. Mm-hmm. Ended up uh, talking my high school or, or my, my sweetheart in New York into marrying me over the phone. So in 1989, Margie uh, came out to Detroit. And uh, just like my parents before me, within two years, we had two kids. And then I went to the owner of the company. I was up to nine bucks an hour at this point. And I said, mm-hmm. hey, I need more money. I got my second kid on the way. And he says, well, if you want more money, you got to go into sales. And a part of me was like, oh, no, you know, because I just like most salesmen are not uh, hardworking, ethical mm-hmm. folks. And I really enjoyed service. I, I loved the customers. I loved the service techs I worked with. But at that point, I made the transition. So I threw myself intensely into studying sales. But I wasn't just going to wing it. So in addition to going out there and doing it, I was listening to nonstop Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, you know, Hopkins, uh, everything I could get my hands on. I remember the psychology of selling by uh, Brian Tracy. Or, uh, yeah, Brian Tracy. Uh, I, it was like 26 cassettes, and I literally had all 26 memorized. And something wow. I really loved, because I am a student, I'm a lifelong student, listening to these tapes, learning these techniques and skills and organizational and goal setting, and then actually implementing them. And that's the part I loved. I loved in school, you just learn stuff, and it's so nebulous. Like, I don't know, you know, you're in eighth grade, and you're learning about, uh, you know, New Zealand. What do you care? Well, last year, I spent a week in New Zealand, and man, if, if you could really understand back then, your younger self, why this is important, what it means, it changes everything. And for me, that was sales. It was almost like my little, you know, like, like you know, I don't know, experiment. I'm listening to these tapes. I'm, I'm you know, absorbing this information in my mind, but then I'd be excited to, to wake up at 5.30 in the morning and go out into shops and try this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not being a stupid person, you know, I kept what worked. I got rid of what didn't work. I brought my own creativity to the mix. So for the first bunch of years, I really refined my sales knowledge. And I, just like when I was in service, I got dog years of knowledge by the intensity I threw at the number of calls that I made. You know, I, I just dwarfed anyone else in the company when it came to the number of visits that I would make, the number of telephone calls. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're just compacting, you're compressing. You know, so it just, there's no, uh, you know, replacement for experience. And the more you expose yourself to, you, the quicker you're going to get that experience. Yeah. So by 1995, 
I had become the top salesman in the company that I was at. And I just thought to myself, you know, I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing this for somebody else. I'd like to do it for myself. So I went to my wife and I said, you know, I would like to work for myself, but you know, we're going to, I'm not going to the bank. We're going to do this with our life savings and it's going to be hellacious hours. Mm-hmm. I said, well, will it be any worse hours than you're already working? And I said, no, same hours. <laughs> now we got to do this for another 10 or 15 years. And she said, you know, I'm on board. So we both decided we wanted to raise our family in Cincinnati, Ohio, instead of Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Cincinnati, started my own company, left my family back for the first year. You know, worked about a year's worth of 80-hour weeks getting my company off the ground. And after the first year, I was at about $5 million in sales. Kind of figured out, okay, this isn't rocket science. And I brought my family down. And from that point, I really started uh, studying management. You know, so I, I, you know, everything I could get my hands on in the way of management. My first hire was a full-time consultant uh, who I made the president of my company. So I would stay out all day and sell. Mm-hmm. And I then, you know, worked on the QuickBooks and teach me how to use that at night after I got done with sales calls and CRM. And he put the structure into the company. And then he taught me after hours, uh, you know, how all of that worked. And I had him for the first five years. I've been in business now for 25 years and I've utilized consultants and advisory boards for all 25 years. Mm-hmm. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. So I'm always trying to learn from someone who's been there before. Uh, someone who's smarter than me, and there's an awful lot of them out there for me, luckily. Uh, and then also, uh, I just have changed the focus of my studies. The first probably five years was management, and when I felt like I had a handle on that, uh, there was always organization, time management, goal setting. So that's been a constant theme for the last 35 years. Uh, and then especially over the last 15 years, I really switched over to strategic planning, economics, forecasting, and more than anything else, that has really, really served me well. That's, that's, that's a fantastic story. When you, when you opened up your, your own company, you mentioned, obviously, you're making sales calls, you're, you're, you're calling. Was there, was there anything that you can honestly say that really, you know, ramped things up for you? I mean, you know, today, today, a lot of people don't want to necessarily get on the phone and make phone calls. They think that, you know, I'm dealing with one person at a time. Uh, any advice for a new entrepreneur that might just be getting started? How would you say is the best way today to have them, you know, start generating a book of business for themselves? There's no replacement to hard work. As I, before the podcast began, you and I were talking a little and I was saying, I can't stand this new normal. Don't want to see it last any longer than it has to. These Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings have their place, but sales is a contact sport and there's no replacement for getting flesh to flesh. Best definition I've ever heard in my life of sales 
is a transference of enthusiasm. Mm, I like it. You believe in, you, you learn your products, you know it well, you know how to apply it, and then you just get out there. And if you expose 10,000 people to that, you'll probably end up with 1,000 opportunities of which you'll probably win 500. Mm-hmm. If you expose 100 people to it, you might end up with 50 opportunities of which you might win 10 or 20. Mm-hmm. Sales is very much a numbers game. There's people out there writing books all the time uh, on how you can just stop making sales, you know, cold calls. They're a thing of the past. You buy my book for $29.99, you're going to make millions without even picking up a phone. It's just work, Bucky. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, young people who think social media is, you know, they can just get online for eight hours a day, you know, smashing Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and LinkedIn, and they won't have to do the hard work of sales. And I say that that is all horse puppy. There's no replacement. Now, I'm not some dinosaur. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of millennial salesmen working for me, mm-hmm. and I teach them quite a bit, and they teach me quite a bit. So, uh, you know, I've got over 10,000 LinkedIn contacts. I mean, I'm pretty well known nationwide for my LinkedIn presence. I'm not a troglodyte, but at the same time, LinkedIn has its place. Advertising has its place. Snail mail has its place. Mm-hmm. You know, cold calling, telemarketing, going door to door, you know, referrals, etc. You have to understand each one of these and where they fit in. Sales and, and, and having a business like a great big jigsaw puzzle. And there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. And some people have very, you know, strong piece here and they're missing a piece over here. I've spent my career trying to not say, hey, uh, if I'm weak at finance, I'm going to be the greatest at finance. No, mm-hmm. because, I mean, I can hire CPAs, you know, for, for, you know, not all that much money to take care of that for me. But I can't find a lot of guys that, that could do what I could do sales-wise. So I've always thought to myself, I'm not going to be an imbalanced man. When I did karate for years, one of the hardest things when you're learning karate which I started when I was about 11, is we all have a dominant side. You know, I'm righty. And for years, getting that left foot and that, that, that left hand and the speed and the strength to, to try to at least come close to equaling the right side was really hard work. But boy, once you do, you watch UFC and MMA fighting. Mm-hmm. If you got a weak side, you're not getting into the octagon because someone's going to figure that out. Well, it's the same way in business. There's a certain core set of you know, values or things you gotta have. You, know, you gotta know your product. You gotta, you know, be aggressive. You gotta do the numbers. You gotta have integrity. You know, you're building a book of business, and unless you're gonna sell to the U.S. and screw everybody once, mm-hmm. you better learn how to have a good value proposition. You better learn how to lock customers in for life, because that's when life gets really simple. So I'd say to people who are starting out, there is no replacement for numbers. I mean, you really just gotta get out there and get yourself into those situations. One of the greatest things that really skyrocketed my business here in Southern Ohio is networking. So when I first came here, I joined every manufacturing association that I knew existed. I went to every monthly meeting. I went across the country, you know, getting my name out there, getting my products out there, interfacing with people, many of whom played the role of mentors or became customers, you know, who just were so nice. You know, but had I not put myself in those positions, I never would have met them and I wouldn't have gotten the opportunities I did. So I really do believe that networking is a critical, critical part in 2020 and beyond. No matter what business you're in, just getting out there. The more you expose yourself and your company to a greater audience, the more opportunities you're going to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, com- completely, completely agree. What What types of strategies would you say that you can offer people for networking? How do they, how do they get in front of a person 
in doing it in the right way? What are you teaching your, your millennials that work for you today? Well, that's a great question. And uh, that's something I had to learn the hard way. So when I first came to this territory, uh, there was two groups, the Tri-State Tooling and Manufacturing Association down in Cincinnati and the Dayton Region Manufacturers Association up in Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So I immediately joined both and I started going to their monthly meetings. You know, when I moved here, my wife and I literally just decided she's from Brooklyn. I was from the Bronx. We didn't want to raise our kids in New York. We fell in love with the family for its values of the Midwest. And we just chose Cincinnati as kind of that's the place we'd really like to raise our children. We ended up having six of them. And it was one of the greatest moves we ever made. It's just Cincinnati is such a family friendly, cost of living is good. The people are just superb down here. It's a great place to live. Mm -hmm. So when I first came here, I didn't know anybody. And I will tell you, it is just flat out tough, Matt, to walk into a room with 85 people. They are all strangers. And you got to start working your way in. And some guys are just naturals at that. I'll be frank with you. I was not. I remember coming back from those meetings and telling my wife, I can't stand this. You know, just, just, oh my gosh, these people, they're all like clicky and they've been together forever and they know each other. I'm the outsider and they don't want to let me in. Mm -hmm. And Margie would say, well, then, you know, why are you going back? And I'd say, what do you mean? Because I have to. Like, I'm not giving up. Are you kidding? And I told my wife years ago, I said, I'm going to be the president of that association one day. And she yeah. just laughed. Well, I was the chairman of that association probably about 10 years ago. Wow. I mean, yeah, but I mean, it just took years of really breaking in. And I'll, 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 I'm happy to share some of the things that I learned. Number one is when a bunch of my, in my industry, manufacturing, when a bunch of tool makers and, you know, mold makers have spent a whole day out there in the shop doing that. And at 530 at night, they show up to a place with an open bar and they grab a beer. They might want to do some shop talk, mm -hmm. but they don't want to be sold to. Yep. So I've really learned there's nuances when it comes to networking. There's a place to sell and there's a place not to sell. And you had better front load 90% of that relationship build with that prospect, not around trying to sell him anything, but strictly around trying to get to know him. Mm -hmm. You know, what are his hot buttons? What are his likes? What's important to him? What does he do on weekends? How did he get his business started? How many kids does he have? Where do you come up with the name of that business? How do you get funded for it? You really want to find out all about that person. And I'm talking probably for months before you ever say something like, hey, I'd love to stop by and talk to you about my product. That's probably going to sound more like, hey, I'd love to stop by and get the nickel tour one day. Yeah. We're open to that. Yep. But you really, and the, the art of networking is the art of building relationships. It's not the art of selling people stuff. Because if you build a good relationship, Jeffrey Gittimer always says, you know, uh, all things being equal, people will buy from who they like. Mm -hmm. and all things being unequal, people will still try to buy from whom they like. Mm -hmm. That's the essence to me of networking right there. You got to build a good relationship. And then down the road, the opportunities will come to do business. Yeah. So the seeds today, so you can uh, reap the benefits tomorrow. What's, uh, what's next for you? You know, obviously you, you've had quite a career, all kinds of different leadership opportunities. You're, you're helping people in robotics, you know, different organizations. What's next for you? So I'm shifting into that point in my career where, you know, for years I would always, I've got mentors and I'd always call them the great wife father. And I'm certainly not the great wife father yet, but uh, for the past 10 years, there's been a lot of give back in my career. 
So I work very closely with a lot of the schools, trade schools, apprenticeship programs uh, here locally, very active. I was on the board for the Dayton Region Manufacturers Association for eight years, past chairman there. I've really spent the last probably four or five years working very closely with the Tri-State Touring and Manufacturing Association. You know, a lot of the things that we did up in the Dayton region that uh, we had one of the best associations in the country. I've been working closely with the group down south, and I think we're becoming one of the finest associations in the country down there. I have a real passion for that. It's good for the community, good mm -hmm. for manufacturing, and manufacturing is good for the U.S. Uh, I'm, I'm on an economic forecasting committee out of Washington, D.C. with the Association of Manufacturing Technology. Through some linkage there, I've gotten into the White House to meet with the president and the vice president. So that the, the things that I'm able to accomplish with these associations, I really feel like they're making a difference that will be felt long after I'm gone. So if I can really help to develop the workforce for the next generation of manufacturers, that's something that I can really get excited about. And that's something I've spent a lot of time on. Another thing for me from a personal perspective in business, my life began all over again last year at the tender age of 57. You know, because I started my company 25 years ago this year. And for 24 years, we really built a service company, service first. I have twice as many service people that work for me as do salesmen. And that's strategic on my part. You know, but last year we were approached by the number one manufacturer of machine tools in the entire world, Mazak. And they asked us to be their exclusive representative in my wow. territory. Yeah, so that has just absolutely blown my company up. Uh, we haven't doubled our staff over the past year, but we're pretty close to it. Wow. COVID times right now, we're hiring three more people right now. Uh, so that has just been fantastic. It has been flat out fun. I'm so re-energized. I mean, Mazak makes a good portion of their product, more than half of what we sell right in Kentucky. So it's a U.S. made product, which I have a huge passion for. They make over 600 different models of machines. So if I thought I was going to get to coast into retirement easy, that's you know, so, huh? Not how it's going to work out. So between learning all of the new customers, the equipment, the processes, the people, and I'm just absolutely energized by it. I'm so excited. So the past year here has been the most fun year of my life in business. That's you know, fantastic. Yeah. So this is just great. Yeah. No, when you, they always say when you, when you enjoy what you do, you never work a day. So it sounds like you certainly enjoy what you, what you do. So glad, glad you got away from the programming now. Yeah, no, that's, there's some things, you know, all of it, when I look back, I actually, I, I skipped over some patches, but I mean, I did the marketing and the uh, advertising, and I also did accounting for two years, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, back when the testing was telling me I had a logical brain, so, you know, I could be stuck in an office all day doing something with figures, so I did accounting for a few years, I did the computer coding, and all of it, by the time I moved to Detroit at 25, 26, it just seemed like, wow, that was a big wake. It's so funny, Matt, the way things come around, because, you know, as a businessman now running my own company for the last 25 yeah. years, you know, marketing, advertising, accounting, you know, computer programming, it's, I, I was in the IT department for, for my company for the first 15 years. You know, I saved tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, installing all of the servers by myself and the software. So it's just amazing how, uh, it's like God had a plan, man, and I just had to sit back and wait for it to kick in. I love of course, it. the old saying is, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So yep. I was waiting for God to do it for me, but uh, <laughs> fortuitous the way the whole thing worked out. I love it. I love it. Ken, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, if people want to learn more about you or your company, what would you say is the best way to be able to learn to send them to? About 
Dregnots would probably be on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so uh, they can go there. I've got a company, you know, Knox Machinery LinkedIn, but my personal LinkedIn, I just started using that years ago, and I've got a pretty uh, healthy following on Dregnots LinkedIn. And then my company website is knoxmachinery.com. Fantastic, Greg. This has been great. I certainly appreciate the time, and uh, thank you for everything that you're contributing to at the Manufacturing Society. Well, thanks for the time. I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you today. No problem. Thanks for listening, and remember, pass the secret sauce.